So friends, these Sundays, uh, I'm wanting to really uh, speak into things that are important for the future of the life of the church here over the next season, particularly during uh, the vacancy and uh, when you'll be without a, a rector and Karen and, and Mark and, and others will be looking after the work here. And I've spoken on one of the Sundays recently about prayer. I've spoken as well, and we'll talk a little bit more about the importance of presence, uh, God's presence and your presence, that actually it's really important that we turn up uh, when we're supposed to turn up. And this morning I want to talk about the topic that no preacher likes to talk about, and no congregation wants a sermon on giving and money, okay? And we're still in Luke's Gospel this morning, and we're going to read just a few verses at the end of Luke 20 and at the beginning of Luke 21. And in the hearing of all the disciples, of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contribute out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Jesus here focuses on two groups of people, the, the scribes and then this this widow, this widow woman who gives Jesus absolutely everything by way of her earthly possessions that she owns. So much of what Jesus actually says in all of the Gospels and throughout Luke's Gospel has to do with money and has to do with gener generosity. There seems to be a, a basic sort of fundamental principle that our spirituality and our spiritual lives is actually linked with money, and money is linked to our spiritual lives, that we cannot, even though we might want to, separate out these two things. There's a tendency in today's world to do life in, in segments, to do the spiritual bit somewhere over here, to do other bits of our lives somewhere back there, and to do other bits somewhere else. But actually, we need to live blended lives uh, where all of life is, is the one piece. Uh, and we cannot separate out our faith and our finances. We see that actually throughout the Scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, and we see it here in Luke's Gospel. Back in Luke chapter 3, whenever John the Baptist had been preaching and uh, significant numbers of people had responded and, and had come uh, to repent of their, of their sins. And they begin to ask, now that we've repented, now that we've turned to follow God, what should we do? And he said this, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. In other words, repentance should impact how we budget, uh, how we spend money, not just on clothes for ourselves, but how we spend money on, on, on not just food for ourselves, but on food for others. Whoever has two tunics 
is to share with him who is none and whoever has food is to do likewise. In other words, we're not just to think about ourselves, but we're to be concerned for the needs of others. And we're to be passionate about reaching others with the good news of Jesus Christ. Following God really does relate to how you and I manage our money, how you, manage, uh, you and I manage our possessions, uh, how you and I do, do life in all its completeness and in all its wholeness. He said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not exhort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. So whether people that were coming uh, to repent after John's preaching, whether they were soldiers or, or whether they were tax collectors, it didn't really matter who they were. It was going to have an impact from that moment on upon how they would do life. And following the Lord Jesus for me and for you also has an impact upon how we do life. I love the story of Zacchaeus, that, that little man who climbs up into, we're told, a, a, a tree. And uh, he has an experience of, of meeting Christ and being changed by Jesus. And what does he do? It says in Luke 19, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods... I give now to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. This man's conversion led to a transformation, not just that was external, not just that was uh, some aspects of his life, but it actually impacted the very core of who he was as a tax collector, as someone who had amassed quite a fortune probably from defrauding others. Now he's turned right around to give away so much to others and to serve God in that way. Jesus would go on to describe as a fool the rich man who would build bigger barns and spend his wealth on himself. We read in Luke 12, God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? In other words, as you go through the scriptures, you discover this, that it's actually kind of stupid just to live for the now. It's just unwise to store up wealth for the moment. Because when we get to heaven, whether our wealth is in dollars or in euro or in sterling, it won't really matter because it will be of absolutely no worth whatsoever. There is no point in stocks, stockpiling here. It's smart, rather, to store up treasure for heaven. It's right to invest, in other words, in the things that are going to last forever. It's good to invest in those things that are of eternal worth. 
It's right that we should give of ourselves, of our very breath, of our time, of our energy, of our prayers, and of our money to the things that are going to last forever. The psalmist said, do not be afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases, for when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. There's the true story told of John Rockefeller, who was one of the wealthiest men who ever lived. And after he died, somebody asked his accountant, how much money did John leave? To which his accountant said, he left all of it. He left all of it. You see, that's what we all do. We leave all of it. That's would be true of the widow in this story. It would have been true of the scribes that actually everything that they had, great or small, they could spend it on themselves or they could invest it in what would last forever. I read this week, <clears throat> I'm not into financial planning. Anyone that knows me knows I'm a disaster when it comes uh, to managing money. Well, not a disaster, but not, I, I, I spend it, okay? I spend it or, or whatever, or spend it or give it away. That's my kind of attitude to money. That's why I never have a lot in truth. But this financial planner said, when it comes to your money, don't think just three months or three years ahead. Think 30 years ahead. And then someone wrote Christ the ultimate investment counselor takes it further. He says, don't ask how your investments will be paying off in just 30 years. Ask how it will be paying off in 30 million years. I love that. I really do love that. That we're called to invest in that which will last forever. Because neither this widow nor the religious scribes could take anything with them. Neither can I, neither can you. Secondly, we see here that anything that we may have is not ours anyway. That's a bit of a shock, so I'll say it again. Anything that you have, anything that I have is not yours anyway. We read in Job 41, verse 11, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I love the story of the guy in the church who gave his very treasured stereo equipment to some of the youth leaders. And uh, when he got it back, it was damaged and he wasn't too happy. He was very angry actually initially. And then he thought about it and he concluded that it hadn't been his anyway and that it had been used to actually bless and reach a group of young people. So he dialed down and cooled down and put the thing in perspective. You see, anything that you and I have is not ours. Anyway, the psalmist said, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Haggai writes, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. In Deuteronomy, we read, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, 
that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And Paul wrote, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Friends, our homes, our cars, our earnings, our income, our bank balance, even our very bodies are his. They're not our own. I read again this week about a businessman who loves to read through dozens of letters from people that send him letters around uh, mission trips. Uh, and every year he contributes to these mission trips of young people going overseas to serve God overseas. And he does so, he says, because he senses and he believes that in investing in that, he gets to invest in mission overseas. He cannot go himself, but he might as well be there in one sense because he's enabling others to go. When we give, we are in a real sense sending treasure ahead. We're God willing populating heaven for what we give reaches lost people that end up spending eternity with Christ forever. And we are remembered, re reminded that one day Christ will return in Matthew 16 for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So let's perhaps choose to invest not in the short term life here but to invest in eternity. Let's make sure that we're investing in eternity. In this lovely story of this widow woman, uh, I reckon that she was the wealthy one actually, not the others who were throwing just a little of what they owned into the offering basket. She was the wealthy one. She was giving all that she had. I'll just read those verses briefly again. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins and he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them for they are contributing out of their abundance but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. There's a challenge there for us. There's an encouragement there for us. Sometimes you'll hear debates about whether tithing is something that was just for Old Testament times. Well, it's taught in the Old Testament very clearly. Jesus validated it. The church fathers endorsed it. <clears throat> but someone, I think, has rightly said, tithing is like a toddler's first steps. They aren't his last or his best, but they're a good start. We're to heed the word of Paul who said, excel in that grace of giving. I want to conclude by bringing this into land in a practical way. And um, <clears throat> as I move on from 
from, from Willowfield, one of the things that might concern me uh, if I allowed it to, but I'm going to believe that actually we as a church will step up to the mark on this one, is the reality that our community association raise every year about £400,000 towards many of our programs and towards many of our salaries. Now, as a church, we also raise about, in total, a, little, a bit more than that, nearer to £500,000. So it's a, it's a big, big budget. But we are too dependent on outside grants for a number of our salaries. And there are three in particular that I'd love that we as a congregation would be paying for ourselves rather than asking outside funders to pay for. One is John Mina's salary, who does so much by way of ministry and outreach as the local pastor here in these local streets. The other is Glynis Matchett's salary, who does so much by way of heading up our, our prayer and our prayer ministry and evangelism uh, locally and uh, beyond uh, these streets. And then there's Charlene, our children's worker. And actually, we put very little money as a congregation into children's work. So much of it is funded from outside. And I'd love us to be able to correct that. To pay one of those salaries would mean that our overall church income would increase by 7%. To pay two, it would increase by 14%. To pay three, it would increase by about 22%. I'm simply asking us to look at two things. If there are those who don't give on a regular basis by envelopes or by standing orders, I'm asking you to make this the time when you start, okay? And there are cards in your seats that I'm not asking you to fill in today, but I am asking you to take away and prayerfully to read through and bring back, let's say next week, okay? Uh, bring them back next Sunday. And those of us who already give by envelopes or by standing order, to look now at the end of the year as we move towards a new year at whether we are in a position where we could increase our standing order or increase our weekly envelope contribution. And my guess is that probably most can, okay, and for those who can't, that's absolutely fine. Thank you so much, everybody, for what you're already giving. But I'm hoping that there will be a few that will make very substantial increases to compensate for those who just can't afford to increase uh, at all. So please pick up those cards, pick them up now, and then you'll not forget them. Take them home with you. Uh, and during this week, please, Sit down and carefully think and pray. It's important that these three posts are secure in the long, long term. And it's important that ministry here goes from strength to strength. That's why we ask, okay? Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that it would be our hearts that you would touch in the same way as the this, Lord, this woman in this story, that our heart was somehow just captured, Lord, by you. Lord, I pray that my heart, each of our hearts, 
all of our hearts and our wills and our lives and our bodies and, Lord, our possessions and our bank balances and all that we are and have would be totally, Lord, captured by you and made yours for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll continue in an attitude of prayer as we come to our confession. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ.